what's up? Welcome back to Faith FM. We're into our second hour of the show. Um, you know, Lyle's somewhere here. Oh, there he is. He's sitting right beside me on his phone, you know, slacking off. Crazy. Who would have thought? All right. Uh, but right now we're going to get into another clue for the quiz for 400 points. What priest of Midian was the father-in-law to Moses? 0491-064-669 is the number to call for 400 points. You can net yourself a selection from one of our bargain books. Um, you can either get one of those or get those points on the board, continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, what priest of Midian was a father-in-law to Moses? All right. You know the answer, you know the number to call. And we have a few text messages to look at here. Oh, nice. Uh, let me see. I wonder why they didn't come up with the idea with sooner. Robotics for paraplegics. The mm. army has been using robotics to make super soldiers for a long time. Still good news for the paraplegic community. Uh, they're robotic super soldiers rather than blending blending robotics and humans together as far as I understand. Yeah. We certainly, you know, since <laughs> okay. at least the... Wait, do, we, do we have so, robotic super soldiers? I didn't know that. Yeah, robots, like robotic machine guns and stuff like that oh, okay. running around the battlefield. I thought you meant like like guys with exoskeletons on, like the movie. Mechs. Something like that, like a mech movie or something. Uh, not that I'm aware of. I don't no, think that I exists. don't think that exists. No. But we certainly have uh, robots that, you know. Yeah, drones, that do stuff. A drone yeah, is, a, sure. is, a, is a robotic super soldier. That's right, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and, of course... You know, we've got, uh, you know, super soldiers have been created using chemicals since the Second World War. You know, mm. the, the German army used um, methamphetamines and ice and so forth extensively mm. uh, during the Second World War um, to, you know, try and enhance the ability of their soldiers. Anyway, uh, instead of taxing porn sites, why doesn't the government close them completely? Well, this is a very valid question, mm-hmm. and, and, and I totally agree with it. Mm-hmm. I think taxing them is a start. Mm-hmm. Finding them is a start. Mm-hmm. This is a very small start, but you know, it's a start, and and, and anything, it's a step in the right direction. So we're going to celebrate it. Mm. Uh, people are not as stupid as they think. The amount of suffering it causes is shown in society, all for the love of money. Mm. And of course, these are sites that are making bucket loads of money. So yeah, go after them. Find them, grab their money, tax them, use that money to then close them down. Oh, but man, this. Oh, wait, wait. What, are we talking about gambling or are we talking about porn pornography? Sites. Okay, oh, okay. Sites, yeah. Okay, so we're, now we're going to talk about gambling because yeah. we've got another text message here on gambling. Australian gambling problem, sad state of events, Satan rules in government policies mm. on so many issues. It's who true. is Who is really the sick one? Mm. And uh, then, all right, let's go over totalitarianism won't help the gambling or help the poor souls that are afflicted. They need love and counselling. I absolutely agree. Mm. I, I totally agree with that. The um, the number to call is 1-800-858-858. That's the National Gambling Hotline. Mm. Um, or you can just simply call us here on 0491-064-669 and we can put you in touch with people that can give you help. At the same time, prohibition always works. Yes. All you have to do is be a historian to know that prohibition works. Man, there are so many people who would attack you for having that opinion. Like they would say, "Like, no way." I know. They're like, "That's let them that's go." Not for it. true. Because you know, as as the popular saying goes, facts don't care about your feelings. You can do the <laughs> research, and if you know the history of what has taken place and the effects that prohibition, whatever it's been involved in, um, it has always worked. 
Mm. It has always been the most effective way. Is it a cure? No, because you're trying to cure the human problem. You're trying yeah, to cure the, you're people's not cure. personal choice to afflict themselves. It's, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There is humanity involved, but it is by far the most effective thing of ridding our society of those things that destroy us and building a stronger society. Mm. Always has been. Every time in history, every instance of it in history has proven this to be true. Nice. You know, we try and come up with all these other solutions. And, yes, we should have the other solutions. We should have a full tool bag of solutions to deal with these problems, which includes, you know, counselling services and love and care and and, and those kinds of things. Absolutely. We should also have laws and penalties Mm. because God's government has laws and it has penalties. Mm. And God's government has laws and penalties that don't move. They're not flexible. They don't just sort of like, oh, you know, we're just going to um, use the law this time and not that time. No, there are consequences for sin. Mm. End of story. And so we should have laws with consequences like the government of God does. And we do. We live in that kind of a society. Uh, And that's one of the great successes of our society is because we have laws with consequences. Um, It's just that sometimes we... Don't have the right laws. Mm. I, I, I'm, I actually got a study up in front of me, and and the title of the study is like, because uh, because like the opposite approach that people kind of consider is, oh, what if we decriminalize certain things, yeah. and then if we well, leave seen, it open, you've seen what happened with the, when, you know when you decriminalize, say for instance, pornography, mm. it becomes you know your Pornhub becomes in the top ten. Um, visited websites in the in the world. That's right, and I think the 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 point that the article makes in front of me uh, here is like, oh, like this is talking specifically about like decriminalizing drug use, and it's like the reason why like decriminalization is considered important is because it means that avenues then open for people to get help. Yes. It- Absolutely. And and absolutely, we want to help people. Yes. We want to counsel people. We want to give people solutions and all kinds of things. But then the next point that it makes is like, but it won't end the opioid overdose crisis. No. It doesn't. Like, it won't save those lives. Decriminal, like thinking that we can give a long leash to something that is so harmful and let people make an informed decision. Like, we want to give people choice. Um, but as a society, like, if we don't take stands to try and eradicate things that are, like, negative. Like, we need to give people love and help. God gives us love and help. That's right. We were studying this in my small group last night. Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Mm. Some of the best help I ever had as a young person growing up was when my father disciplined me. Yeah. You know, that was the most loving thing that I ever had happen to Mm. me was, you know, when he would uh, sit me down, have a bit of a conversation about what I've been doing wrong, tell me how much he loved me, um, give my backside a very, very thorough paddling, hold me close, tell mm. me how much he loved me again, you know, have prayer with me, all that kind of stuff. The the best kind of discipline that you can get and it is so <laughs> incredibly helpful. And this is what we need to have, you know, in society. We need to have loving discipline with consequences, mm. with real consequences, mm-hmm. because consequences are actually loving. That's what we need to recognize. Yeah. Um, and 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 combined with that, we need to recognize that you know there is a a, a point at which many of these people are victims mm. as well as perpetrators, right. 
and we need to recognise that and we need to give them all of the support that we possibly can, not just lock them up, throw them in jail, let them out six months later. No, lock them up, throw them in jail and give them the support that mm. they need and give them the rehabilitation and give them the love and the care that they need to be able to, uh, you know, come mm. back into society. Because if we don't, and like the point, again, that the study's making is like, just letting things run rampant or being totally totalitarian about things, but then not helping people. Not helping people doesn't solve the problem. That's right. That, that like not giving people and this avenues and options people, to some, overcome. You know, people will go to one extreme or the other and it's like, well, let's just legalise it and, you know, provide counselling. Mm. And then the other side is, no, just uh, throwing everyone in jail and we don't have to see those people so we don't have to worry about it. Mm. Now we need to be doing, we need to be, providing for both sides, we need to have the counselling as well as the consequences. That's right. Oh, because Discipline if, with love. Because if we don't, like, the the, the crisis remains. And yes. People are still getting hurt and people are still ruining their lives over these things. Oh, Absolutely. Hectic stuff. Okay. Let's get into our Bible study. You're talking about hectic stuff. This is about to get hectic right oh. here. Yes, let's go. So in Hebrews chapter six, verse four, and we're, we're done with the we're done with the milk. Verse five, verse four, verse five, verse six. Okay, Here some of go. the heaviest verses in the Bible. All right, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come. And who then turn away from God, is it, it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Okay, so this is, this is a passage that is pretty crazy from two different perspectives. We're going to look at both. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, so the first, the, the, the two different perspectives here. First of all, you have a large slew of Christianity who would say that it is impossible once you have given your life to Jesus Christ to walk away. Mm. Well, that verse kind of doesn't exist that. in the Bible. Um, the second thing is, is like, what, 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 wait, wait a minute. If I walk away from God, is that the unpardonable sin? Mm. So those are two questions that we need to look at in detail as we explore these passages. Yeah. And so we're going to look at the first one first. Is it possible for somebody who has given their life to Jesus Christ to lose that to lose their salvation? So let's just work our way through these passages. Let's mm. see what it actually says. The Bible says in verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. So we're talking about those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Yes. All right, what is the heavenly gift? Salvation. Okay, so they have tasted salvation uh -huh. and they were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Mm. What does that mean? Um, that they were, yeah, used and filled by God, yeah. This is like verse 4 is a complete description of the Christian experience. Yes. Like like of the in the spiritual sense. That's right. Like this is you experience salvation you are filled with the spirit. Yeah, you know, and it's it's so interesting because I've often talked to people who who take a, a calvinistic view of or you know or a predetermined view of salvation that God has chosen, you know, who would be saved and who wouldn't be saved and created some to be saved and some to be That's lost. right. And and for those who are created to be saved, they it is impossible for them to be lost, right? Yeah. And so then I make the point of like, oh, what if someone comes to church, 
makes the decisions to, you know, follow Jesus. They get baptized, like all those kinds of things. It's like, you know, they praise, praise the Lord. Um, and then they decide to leave. And the point that's often made in response to that is, oh, well, actually, they never truly possessed salvation. Um, if they choose to leave God, they never truly were saved. But then I just read this verse, like, like read, read verse four again. And it's yes. like, okay, okay. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They've- we know what the gift is. There are a multitude of, of uh, verses in the Bible that tell us that the gift is the gift of salvation. That's right. And they taste the, like they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. So, so it's not like just they've, they've, they've you know, because some, if it was just, if, if, if the second part of the verse hadn't been there, if Paul hadn't qualified it, yeah. been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, mm. he didn't qualify it with that, we could argue that, well, maybe they looked at Christianity and put their toe in the water, but they were never actually saved. That's right, and that's actually that's actually experience that people go through. Yes. Like, like, yes. like we, you know, I've got co- friends who looked at Christianity, came to church for a few months, decided, no, this is not for me. Yeah, but even even further than that, like people, like you know, yeah, we call it like false conversion, right? Like the, just the idea that like people have made decisions, but they don't actually know the implications of their decisions, and they've ultimately, but it's it, it's ultimately led them astray in the end. That they've They've from an outward appearance. They've decided to make those decisions to, to be in, but really there wasn't a change that took place. Obviously, like we can't judge from the outside and look at someone and say, like, oh, they've made a false decision or or, or a true decision or whatever, because we simply don't know mm-hmm. um, as people are going through those experiences. But like here, it's just clear that it is possible to actually be in, and then be out to come in, like to. To be saved, but then to leave and to to go from the state of being in a position of experience salvation and then go in, then in afterwards into a position of not experience salvation. Like that is crystal clear. Oh, and we've got someone on the phone. Yeah, actually. someone on the phone that wants to uh, call through. So uh, who have we got here? Um, we have oh Bruce is on the phone. Bruce, oh. welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. Just a comment about that um, falling away from God. Mm. And I believe in the parable that Jesus told about the sower, that um, there's actually three lots of ground, but there's actually four four things. And the third, the um, when the when the seed is, falls among thorns, mm. that is what we're talking about now becomes unfruitful because of the cares of this world and this deceitfulness of riches becomes unfruitful. So it must have been fruitful before. Mm. And it doesn't tell you what ground it is. It's among thorns. Mm. So really, I believe you look at the first two grounds, the wayside, it's broken up and you've got the clods, you get uh, the rocks, you take that out, you've got the good ground. Mm. But then they're in the good ground in the church, but because they lose this dependence on God because they start worrying about finances and cares of the world and they become unfruitful. Whereas if they hang in there, they'll be in the good ground and produce. Bruce, that's a really interesting thought. I've never actually thought of that uh, parable of the sower as being three different kinds of ground. I've always presented it as four different kinds of ground, but to grow weeds, you actually need to have good soil. I think you've made a good point there. Mm. You can't grow weeds mm. on rocks, neither can you grow mm. um, wheat on rocks. And, uh, you know, what's interesting in, in, in that particular parable, if I, I might just read from it very quickly in Luke chapter 8. Um, it says, you know, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Uh, this is in verse 12. Those by the wayside are those that hear. 
Then comes the devil and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved, Mm. which is a really critical passage right there because it talks about uh, those who believe, you you know, the the context of belief in the parable Mm. is belief unto salvation. Mm. So we know that we're talking about belief unto salvation right here. So when it comes down, you know, to the verse that you're talking about in verse 14, those which fell amongst those are those which when they have heard go forth, they're choked with the cares, the riches and pleasures of this life and bring forth no fruit to perfection. Well, also those on the rock, they are those which when they hear, hear, receive the word with joy and these have no root, which for a while believe. It's already been qualified in the passage that it's belief to salvation, and here you've got people who believe for a while. Yeah. Well, that rock that they take out is a stony heart. You know, it's taken out. And the first wayside, that has to be broken up because they've got a hard surface, you know, and it's only when trials come to us that we come to God and say, help, help, you know, and that's that's the ground being broken up. by the. Because I look at it as a farmer. He's got the wayside hard ground. He plows it up with a plow. He breaks it up. Mm-hmm. Then when he breaks, we're broken. Then we've got to get rid of this stony heart because it brings up the heart. We get mm. rid of the stony heart. We've got a heart of flesh. We've got this relationship with God. But then we fall away from God because of all the blessings he gives us. And we're starting to focus on the blessings. We don't have this need for God anymore. Mm. And so we fall away. We become unfruitful. Mm. I like the uh, illustration you brought out there of the uh, of the stony heart, the heart of stone, because, I mean, you sound like somebody who uh, spends a bit of time in the garden from time to time, and one of the things you do when you break up new ground is you throw out all of the stones, you get rid of all of, all of the stones in, in, in that particular ground to make that ground uh, fruitful and multiply. Bruce, thank you so much for calling through. You've got some uh, really good thoughts to uh, expand on that particular passage mm. right there which I think sheds a lot of light on what we're talking about here, um, where you know the Bible, the Bible says that these people have tasted the heavenly gift. Uh, that gift throughout the Bible is only and always the gift of salvation. Nobody's ever going to question that. The belief that is spoken about in the parable of the sower is belief unto salvation, and the Bible mm. says that they believe for a while. In other words, they have been saved for a while. Mm. Here, the Bible says they've tasted the heavenly gift, and it's just not just that they've sort of seen it, put their toe in the water, but they've never surrendered to Jesus Christ. But Paul qualifies it by saying that they were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. You do not become a spirit-filled person without making a full surrender to Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. These are spirit-filled people that the Bible is talking about. Mm. Okay, so um, it, it continues on. They've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, you know. And and, and I guess you know, if, if once again, if verse five wasn't qualified by verse four, you could say, well, you know, there's a lot of people who have sort of looked into the Bible and you know they've read about um, salvation, they have read about uh, the promise of the of, of heaven, and they've read about mm. the promise of the new earth, uh, but they've never made a decision. No, verse four qualifies the fact these people have been have made a decision and have been filled. Mm. With the Holy Spirit. That's right. It's pretty conclusive stuff. But I think, like, the most contentious part of this verse, from both perspectives, because then, like, we would fall into a perspective of, 
believing in the, the power of free choice that God gives us and, and yes. whatnot. The most contentious part is then like when at the start of verse four and at the start of verse six as well. Okay, so we get we get the, the impossibility of the coming impossibility back. of coming right, back. This is, about this that is like that's, that's tomorrow's Bible study. Oh, okay, all right. This is this is the hard stuff, dude. This is like it's hard for you and I mm. because we're not Calvinists, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and and so this is the big issue that jumps out as us mm. out at us, and so you know for our listening audience, there's going to be massive challenges in this in this uh, passage. For both sides, mm. Calvinists and Arminianists. Yeah. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is the Breakfast Show. We are back into our Bible study, and Lawson has the uh, next the 500 pointer, the big one. That's right. Let's even get this one. Let's get it. Get it. At least get it for bragging rights, if not for the prize. You get a big prize for this one, but. Uh, at least join the Bragging Rights crew. All right, for 500 points, who is the first hunter mentioned in the Bible? Oh, so y- just y- like a- it's like it's like kindergarten. No, just, yeah. yeah, I don't think we. I don't think I learned this one in kindergarten, but it's a two hundred point. Yeah. Well, like first, like if you've read the book of Genesis, you know the answer to this. Yeah. Basically, uh, well, when you're talking about first, Genesis is first. Yeah, that's right. Pretty that's much. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you know the answer. And our prize for today is one that I've actually picked. Uh, it is the book God's Holy Word. Is it still worth dying for? Question mark by Ellen Jean White. This is actually something that we talked about yesterday um, in our Bible study. We're talking about like, man, you know, look at look at like the relationship that those in the past had with God, where they were willing to die for the truth of his word. And this is what this book is all about. And in our day today, where we seem in Christianity, at least in, in Australia and where we lived is, is relatively comfortable. It's like, but, but is God's word world word worth dying for zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Again, the question to answer for 500 points, who is the first hunter mentioned in the Bible? Okay, if you know the answer, give us a call right now. Let's jump back into our Bible study mm-hmm. where we have been looking at this issue here in uh, Hebrews chapter 6. And before we went to the went to the break, I was I was just outlining that, you know, this passage is incredibly difficult for Calvinists. Yes. But it's also incredibly difficult for uh Arminianists. Yes, that's right. Um, you know, because you've got your two streams of uh, evangelical Christianity, those who uh, follow Calvin where there is no choice, those who follow Arminius where there is choice, mm. into which category Lawson and I fall, mm. uh, very much believing in, in, in the power of choice um, because that's what the Bible teaches. Mm. And so we're looking at the challenge for Calvinists first because that's the easy one for us. Yes. Tomorrow or at the end of this Bible study, we'll start looking at the question of the unpardonable sin, which is the challenging one for us. Yes. So this verse is going to be, cha- you know, we we might sit here feeling all comfortable this morning because oh, well, you know, this one's uh, this one's uh, this one's for somebody else. It's not for us, except yeah. that there is this whole impossible word. In yes. There. So it's a tough one for everybody. Mm. Um, it's going to challenge everybody who is out there. But let's go to um, go continue on here. You know, the Bible says, you know, those who have tasted the heavenly gift. Uh huh. They've tasted salvation. Mm-hmm. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. They've tasted the good word of God. They've tasted the powers of the world to come. Yes. And, you know, when, when we read about t- tasting the the power of the world to come, 
that's actually an interesting phrase because we could look at it like, oh, yeah, they just learned about heaven. No, they actually experienced the power of heaven. Mm. You cannot exp- experience the power of heaven without having been surrendered to God and filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, totally. How else do you experience that power? That's, mm. that's an impossibility. So we know that, you know, this, this once again clarifies, and it's almost like Paul is going out of his way. Just so you, you know, because Paul could have said, you know, have tasted the heavenly gift and left it at that. Mm. But he wanted to be really clear here and really specific. So he's added in a whole bunch of redundant information and even repeated himself. Yeah, it, it's redundant, but it, it, like he he wants to make clear like these are people who had it all. He triangulates it. That's right. Um, and these are saved people. And when we talk about the power of heaven itself, or like you know the power of the world to come, like I, I, it reminds me of like the story of of Moses, you know, coming down from the mountain and his face is shining like the sun. Yes. You know, he's having this experience of like purity from sin and and a closeness to God that no one else is having. That's right. right. Because they live in a world of sin. Whereas like he's had this experience with God where it's like it's there is a physical, like spiritual, mental transformation that is happening within Moses, like to the point where his face is shining like the sun glowing. in and of itself. It's glowing. And it's like when we talk about, yeah, like, because I think of, oh, what does that even mean, the power of, like, the world to come? It's like that 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 experience of a closeness to God that is impossible while sin exists. Like, Moses is a person who had that experience. And this is talking about people who have had that experience, um, which is an incredibly rare thing, but it does happen. And it's saying that even those people, like, they can make this decision, like to leave God, um, to choose against Him, uh, to not do His do His will. It's oh, John says, that. "Love the talk this morning." Amen. The Bible is so wonderful, mm. and we appreciate uh, all of the contributors uh, who contribute to the Bible study. Really appreciated what Bruce had to say. If you've got something else you'd like to say and like to share, then uh, just send it through on a text message or yeah. give us a call. Yeah, and like, amen to that because we love the Bible too, and that's what yes. we're talking about. It. Yes. <laughs> Ooh. All right. Bible says, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing that they crucify to themselves the Son of God oppression put into an open shame. <sighs> so it's pretty, pretty strong language right here that this passage finishes out with, uh, in that you know those who were once Christians are the ones who crucify Christ again and put him to an open shame wow. again. Mm. And what you often find is that you know the worst opponents of Christianity are those who were once Christians. Oh. And what I find is that they are the ones who live with a nagging need to always point out the flaws within Christianity. Mm. You know, somebody who grew up without Christ, who grew up in a secular home and sort of, you know, never has a, uh, a background in knowing God, they sort of ignore for the most part, you know, Christianity unless they've, you know, had an experience of, of knowing God. But... When you have somebody who grew up in, in Christianity and has actually experienced it and turned their back on it, mm. for the rest of their life, they will have a nagging need to comment, you know, often in a disparaging way whenever they get that opportunity and to point out the flaws of Christianity whenever it's an itch that they cannot stop scratching. Yeah. Like, like for myself, coming from such a purely secular family, there's just, there's just no reason to hate 
Christianity or yeah. Christians or yep. whatever it may be. Maybe more so for my, actually for my parents, because like my mum was a nominal Catholic, you know, growing up, having parents who were Catholic, going to, to mass every day, like that kind of thing. It's like, you know, maybe she felt a need, but for me where it's like, there's that two generations of separation, like I had no reason to dislike Christians. Yeah, to, like to, who cares? They just exist. Yep. Like, like uh-huh. I exist. Um, but I feel like this also has application to like, you know, within, within like, because who crucified Jesus, right? It's like the Jews. Like it was the Jews who crucified Jesus. So it it was those who were God's people who crucified Christ. And it's like and it's like the point that we're making here is that it's so crazy and, and almost oxymoronical. It's like those who have been with God, being the biggest opponents of God, and that literally played out in Christ's life. Yes, that the God's people were God's biggest opponent. That's right. Um, but then obviously, as we're discussing now. That has application. It seems like it has application through through all time because we see this thing happen all the time. Where yeah, th- there is just this this need among, and I, I've seen it. I've seen it plenty of times as well. Um, and it's interesting for me becoming a Christian, you know, from a non Christian background, and then seeing people who are like and 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 me sharing and you know saying to people and now like i work for the church telling everyone like this is like the best thing ever like this is amazing uh, but then seeing people on the other end of the spectrum like co- going from the inside out and then being so heavily against it like it to me anyway like all, all, all i can chalk it up to is like yeah i do, i just don't understand mm. but but it's like something happened there and it's yeah Something became miswired <laughs> for some reason, and they'll never be. Their conscience will never give them peace. That's what it really mm, comes down to: that's is that their so conscience true. will never give them peace, and so they'll always be scratching that itch. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We are all out of quiz questions. That means all we've got to do now is give quiz answers for 100 points. It was Samson. He was the guy who ate honey honey out of a dead lion, which is really gross. Uh, For 200 points, it was in the seventh year. 300 points, Isaiah. 400 points, Jethro. And for 500 points, Nimrod. Uh, But right now, it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, we have a question of the day today coming from Karen, and it's simply this. In the book of Judges, did the judges who didn't have much written about them have peaceful reigns? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, uh, um, you know, as Lawson and I were discussing it, one of the reasons that the judges were raised up was to deliver God's people from uh, their oppressors. And so often that, uh, you know, typically this is what you find to be the case in the book of Judges. That's why they existed, was to Mm. deliver God's people and then to lead God's people after that particular point. Mm. What you'll find is that typically with the judges, you'll find that they come to uh, power as a judge, they lead Israel in victory, and then they settle down to peace as a judge within the nation. And so if we have a bit of a look at, you know, an example of some of the judges, you uh, you begin with Othniel, and Othniel, of course, was fighting against the Mesopotamians. Uh, then you move on to Ehud, and Othniel reigned for 40 years, but he didn't fight for 40 years. Mm. And so, you know, he had some major confrontations with Mesopotamia, uh, after which he was able to establish peace for Israel and lead them back to God. And so what you've really got is you've got this situation where you get a judge that comes in, leads the people to God, leads them in victory, Peace reigns, the judge dies, there is no judge, the people go into idolatry, um, they go away from God and they go into oppression. You kind of get this cycle happening and so God raises up another judge, brings them back to God 
drives out their enemies and um, and peace reigns again. So Ehud, he was fighting against the Moabites and he reigned for 80 years. That's quite a long time. But then you got this guy by the name of Shamgar. And, you know, Karen brings up an interesting point. What about these ones that you hardly know anything about? And you've got Shamgar... Um, he he, reign, he he fights against the Philistines. But if you look at Ehud in, uh, sorry, chapter 3 and verse 30, it says, um, after, you know, after, after Ehud subdued Moab, the Bible says, so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. And so you do have these periods of peace in between when these things come happen. So uh, Shamgar comes along; he's fighting against the Philistines, the, the the Philistines, I should say. What did I say? Then you've got uh, Deborah and Barak. Deborah is the judge at this particular time, um, and she's fighting against the Canaanites. Then you have Gideon, and Gideon is fighting against a coalition of Midianites, Amalekites, and Arabians, or the children of the east. The Bible says which we would think of as being Arabians. Uh, then you have Abimelech, who is Gideon's bastard son, and he's fighting against, guess who? Who? Israel. Wow. So he reigns for three years and is basically very turbulent um, until the Israelites kill him. Oh. Yes. So he's fighting not, not like a good civil way to end up. <laughs> There is civil war during the... Uh, the, 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 the rulership, I guess you would say, of uh, Abimelech. Then you have Tola and Jair, and the Bible says that both of these guys, so Tola um, was judged for 23 years, Jair was judged for 22 years, and during both of their reigns as judge, there was peace. Mm. And so the Bible dedicates like all of two verses to them, and the reason for that or, or, or one or two verses. The reason for that is that the Bible is only recalling, recording the really salient events. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't go into detail about these individuals except that they did a great job and there was peace. Uh, then you move on to Jephthah. Uh, he lasted for six years and, of course, Jephthah was fighting the Ammonites. Before you come to Ibzan and Elon, um, Abdon, the seven years, ten years, eight years, respectively, uh, having fairly peaceful reigns. Then you come to Samson, and of course, we're back to the Philistines again, and they become the the real historical enemies of Israel, uh, particularly under the rule of David. Uh, then you've got Eli for forty years, and then you've got Samuel, which takes you through to Saul being made king, and a lot of conflict during Saul's reign with. The Philistines. So that kind of gives you a quick history of the judges. Most of them had battles to fight, and they're recorded in the Bible. Um, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget, as you go through this day, to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.